out of chapters. We wrap it up today, and this section, Paul is dealing with people. So at the end of this letter he sent to the church, he is uh, addressing different ones who are part of uh, the team. So there's a mission team, and uh, all of these people are, are uh, important to him. These are being some being recommended, some being uh, identified back with him. So there's there's a mixture of these. So the team, the mission team, and the church family are are uh, being recognized in this last section of Colossians. So we've made it all the way to this point. He's going to wrap it up with this. And uh, he's, he's hit some really high notes in this short letter, letting us know about the in, amazing uh, God that we have, the incredible, incredible supremacy of Christ. We have seen that, that, that there's a battle going on, that Jesus has uh, taken on the powers that be. He's done that with within the people and there's a newness of life that's supposed to come through this he's he did it on the cross demonstrating to those other gods the enemies of god who were uh, thinking they were winning by putting them on the cross and it just led to their downfall so he has turned things around and that's where we find him uh here exalted in the end and then as we go through these people we find out that that this is a to, to walk with Christ is a meaningful thing to be part of what Jesus is doing what God intended to do in the world is a meaningful life and they have given themselves to it so these people are come this is new right this is a new thing that's come out of uh Jerusalem out of Israel out of the pages of the Hebrew Bible, and that's all they had at that point. They have words that most of the people in the Roman Empire didn't even know about. Those surrounding synagogues maybe had heard some of these words, but most had no idea. Some of them knew about Jewish people, many didn't. And so we have a uh, across the Roman Empire... Greek gods, Roman gods, Egyptian gods, Syrian, uh, Persian gods. We have a mixture of, of different elements of these beings, spiritual beings, that are recognized in the scriptures as real, and they are opposed to what God's agenda is and trying to build a family, bring people out of darkness to show them a different way to live. And he's offering all of that, and at this point, because of Christ, things have been made possible in ways that they didn't even know were available before. And the word is out that this can go to everyone, get out to every nation, to every person. And that's where we find this team. Colossi is in the western end of Turkey, what is today's Turkey, and it is a small uh, town. It is uh, in a valley uh, across uh, 
an area there that was quite lush. I mean, it's a, it's a good place to be. They were prone to earthquakes, and shortly after this letter comes out, the earthquake struck and the city is, is destroyed. But this is during the time when it's still there. It has um, some travel routes uh, back and forth to uh, get from Greece or from Rome. They can travel and, and get over to the Middle East and to Israel and uh, Syria, Persia, so they can make their way across that direction. There's a mixture then of, of languages and cultures, a variety of ways that people are dealing with things in life. But they come to Christ. So this is, this is uh, a remarkable thing. They are willing to follow someone who has been told to them to have died and come back to life. He has risen from the dead. He has uh, people who are willing to come and make this story known to them. These cultures that they're visiting have a uh, variety of gods. So there's a rain god. There's a sun god. There's a sea god. There's, and they have different names depending on which group you go to. And there's fertility gods. And the, you go through the list of gods that, to represent all of these different aspects of, of the culture. So here's, here's where it gets interesting. How do people who are used to living like that with all of the gods hear a message about Jesus and they walk away from all of their family gatherings, all of the things in the community. So the, the Rotary, you know, Zeus's Rotary Club is going to be a little miffed if they decide they're going to follow Jesus. When you go down to the Temple of Apollo... You know, they got certain things you have to do, certain things you have to drink, certain ways you have to have to dress and behave. And the whole family's built around what celebration, you know, we're having the celebration for Juno, or which what what's our next gathering and when the family's planned all this. And we've always done this for Uncle Charlie. And and so just imagine, these are your people, your traditions. It's what you do every year, so meaningful, and grandma died, and now you're for sure going to do it because now you have to do it in her memory, and then you're going to walk away from that and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Not all these other gods, not these other customs, not those other traditions. I'm walking away to go follow the one, the son of the most high God, who died on a cross to pay for our sins, open the door to heaven, and I get to go walk with him in this life. And all of your relatives would say, you're nuts. You go to your boss, you think you have a job, and you don't. Now you go to the marketplace in the middle of town, and other people have heard. So how are you going to buy tomatoes for your salsa? Because no more will they sell anything to you. Because you're following this person who says there's one way. There's just one way. Not all these other gods, not these other ways, not these other cultures. There's one God, 
the Most High God. Changes everything. Now, Jesus is the most edgy ever. You want to be cool? You want to be really, really on the edge of being cool? It's him. There's no one else. No one comes close. Well, he's just boring. He just, he just wants us as Christians to do things that, you know, they don't even fit into the culture. They just, they're just not as hip as everything else around. And we just, nothing comes close. In every culture, in every era, wherever around the world it has come, he is the most. Nothing comes close. So, the team is going to have a number of people that Paul is going to point out. And we get to hit that as we go through this. And I thought you needed to know them before we even read the passage so you have some idea of who we're talking about. So, Tychicus, he has... You know, I've, a lot of times people use Bible names. You know, they like... They, if, if you're hiring somebody to... to from has an accent and they're working on your yard and their name is Jesus and you go oh yeah yeah where did they get that name maybe uh, you get somebody named David you get these these Bible names it's kind of you know Sarah Rachel you get you get these names that kind of come out of there on all the baby books I've never seen Tychicus it's a strange I don't know there you go. We did have, however, in my unit in the army in, in Germany, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Seriously. Well, his mom had her Old Testament out when she looked at that one. We called him Neb, which is a lot, of, a lot easier. And he couldn't put Nebuchadnezzar and his last name on those forms because he'd never have enough little blocks. And the army really doesn't care because they'll just put a partial... Yeah, that's how it is. All right, Tychicus. This is a um, a person who who Paul we we meet him anyway in Acts. So Paul is on a, a mission trip, and so he's part of the team. But he runs into him, or he's included in the conversation in uh, Troas. So Troas is across today from. Uh, Istanbul, Constantinople back years ago. And so it's, again, on the western end of Turkey. And Paul is making a trip. He's made it from Greece. He's in Macedonia, northern Greece. And he's crossed over, and he's gotten to Troas, and he's headed for Jerusalem. So this is, Tychicus is part of this gathering. There is a, a bunch of the believers who want to get together and who are there in Troas. And so they decide they, they want to hear from Paul. So they get together and meet for hours. They're in an upper room, third-story building, a three-story building there in the third floor, probably getting the breeze off, off the ocean. And uh, he, they've got some lamps lit, and he's talking into late into the night. There, is, uh, there are windows and this uh, young man sitting in near the windowsill falls asleep because Paul's just talking and falls out of the window. 
You've probably heard of that. So that's Eutychus. Eutychus falls to the ground. They go down. Eutychus is dead. Paul goes down, picks him up, and goes, no, he's okay. He gets him back up, and they go on with the meeting. They have uh, communion, they have, and Paul talks. Nobody leaves. They stick around. Daylight comes. He takes off on down the coast because he's headed for Jerusalem. Tychicus is there, so he's part of this group. He sees all these things happening. He's part of Paul's entourage, follows him all the way to Jerusalem. But this thing in Troas is amazing because you think here's a gathering of believers, and they are so taken by this, taken by the message of Christ, taken by Christ, that they are willing to come together and uh, in opposition to everything in their culture, in, in uh, following uh, a person that would probably be rejected. This is, this is a Roman Empire Greek town. This isn't a Jewish city. And yet they're listening to this Jewish man. And then they're serving a dinner based on the death of another Jewish man, Jesus, in this place. And then there's the miracle that took place that night that they all stuck around till morning because most of the time you can't keep a congregation past noon. So how did that work? They were there to hear the words of life, to find out more about their God, and they were not willing to leave And even the death of that young man falling out of the window did not discourage them. It did not become the the most talked about item of the night. What would it have been in our day? There would be 34 books and a movie made about it. Because that was a miracle. That's not what they saw. It's the message of Christ. That's what they were about. How different were they? than modern-day Christians and the way we respond to things. Give me a show. Dog and pony. Some kid falls out the window. Cool. Follow Jesus. Listen to truth. Stick around in a hard seat. Ah, count me out. They did it in opposition to their culture, risking probably their lives. To be there. Well, and if you sit in the windowsill, apparently so. But here they are. They're there. Tychicus is there. He is part of the mission team, or he follows Paul. So they've got some money to deliver to help out the, the, the people in Jerusalem, people in Israel. And they've gathered it from the churches in Greece and Macedonia. And they're taking that money and they're going to deliver it. And, they're take, and Paul's got this group and they're headed that way. So Tychicus goes with them. He's there. Paul goes into the temple in Jerusalem. He gets arrested, spends two years in jail in Caesarea, and then he is on a boat, a ship, and he's headed for Rome. The ship sinks, <laughs> shipwreck. They climb, you know, climb out, saves everybody, and Paul eventually gets to Rome, where Tychicus, again, is there to help out. We don't know if he was on the boat, with him 
or not, but he was in Jerusalem. Those are long distances, and they don't have first-class accommodations on a train to get from Jerusalem to Rome. There are roads you walk. So how committed do you have to be to walk hundreds, thousands of miles to go with some guy who's just going to keep you up all night and you just go, well, you know what? There's something about knowing Jesus. There's something about that message. There's something about walking with him and serving him that's worth all of it. Tychicus thought so. He is a member of the team. He's, he is called a powerful preacher and an effective leader. So he, he's one of the, he is from that area of Turkey. And we're going to pick up Onesimus. Onesimus is in a whole different category because he is a runaway slave and he comes to Christ in the course of all of his running. He goes to Rome and he connects with Paul. So here's a person who is from the area of Colossae and... He's actually joined the group who brought the letter to the Colossians because he's going to be returned to the person he ran away from, the master. The master, in this case, is Philemon. So if you've ever come across that little letter in the New Testament, that's the guy. And he is part of the team, and he's been helpful. He has been part of what Paul, his group in Rome and Paul is in prison, and the way things worked, you could have people bring you food. Uh, if you're in jail today, you can, you can order stuff at the commis- in the commissary, and have those pe- your prisoners can have access to food or clothes or material, different things. Uh, back then, people would gather it up and, and bring it to you, and so he was one of those who was helping out, and so... Tychicus as well, but Onesimus was there. So here's a guy who, who's a runaway slave who no longer wanted to be in that situation. But now that he's come to Christ, he's served, he's seen what the things that Paul has said, and he goes back. That takes some guts. Philemon, the master, has come to Christ too. And he's come to Christ under Paul's uh, leading at some point, maybe in Ephesus, because this isn't that far. So maybe that. And and he, Paul says, well, you kind of owe me, so I'm sending your guy back. And, and I, I, you know, don't, don't be mean, don't mistreat, don't, you know, all, all those kind of things, which apparently Philemon wasn't going to do anyway. But it, it's cool because Onesimus goes back, he's freed, and then he becomes a bishop of Ephesus. So this thing just keeps on getting better. But Onesimus has to go back. So initially he's, got, he's under this really sad situation that uh, really seems like he's trapped. But if he goes there and gets the paperwork, you know, all the things that he needs to do, then he can actually be free instead of just hiding. Aristarchus, another... Uh, Macedonian from Thessalonica. So 
Remember, Paul first goes over from Turkey or Asia Minor. He, he makes his way across to Europe. So this is the first stop in reaching the people of Europe. And he goes to Philippi to start with. Then he goes to Thessalonica after he's been jailed and beaten and all the normal, normal stuff for him in Philippi. He goes to Thessalonica and... He, not treated all that well there either. But here's, here's one who comes to the Lord, Aristarchus. He's from that area, and he joins the team. And there is a, uh, just another individual. This is northern Greece. So we've got people from western Turkey. We have, we have people from uh, northern Greece that are, are part of this. These are people who have worshipped other gods, who have had a different cultural experience, different... Uh, now, all of them are speaking Greek. Oh, and from the Macedonians, this is a, this is a big time. They, we are... Uh, let me give you the quick history on this. Back up to the three, 300 B.C., that's Philip of Macedon, is the king, and he's reaching out, uh, extending his influence, and it it is getting serious as he reaches reaches out, and he gets hold of Athens, and he starts reaching into Greece. His son, and make sure that he gets him really educated, and he liked to go along in battles and things, and figure it out. You know, he, he turned out to be a pretty good leader. So then. Later, his dad's kind of out of the picture, and he becomes the big leader, Alexander. So uh, he is now moving across Greece and Asia Minor and into Persia and into India, and the guy is just, he, he, he what, dies at 36. I mean, the guy is just incredible. He's a heck of a lead. Well, in Egypt, too. I mean, he's just, he goes everywhere. So that's why the Greek language is so thoroughly embedded all across this whole area. So they can, te- they can speak Greek, but they also speak their own languages or, or dialects. So all of these different areas are made up of cultures, subcultures, and also in languages, but also they're going to know Greek. So that's all part of this picture. So Aristarchus is a Macedonian, so he's from the area. He would know Philip and Alexander really well. John Mark, this one, he's from Jerusalem. Actually grew up there, so he would have seen Jesus uh, coming and going. And the temple would have been, you know, a playground. I mean, he just, this is where he lived. And... As the new church is beginning, his family is involved. And his mom hosts the new church and the people. So there, here's a, a uh, scene as Peter is thrown into jail. He is uh, being held by uh, the, the rulers of the temple and they don't they they'd like to put him to death they just like to get rid of peter cuz he's talking about this one that he accuses them of murdering and jesus and then they come back to life and they really this is really messing them up so they want him to be quiet and they want him gone so they have him in jail and he's chained and 
the people of the church, or a number of them, are gathered at John Mark's house with his mom. And so they go uh, to prayer. They're praying for Peter. You may remember this from the book of Acts. So they're praying for Peter. The Lord uh, sends an angel. Angel comes in. Chains fall off. Gates fly open. Angel says, come on, Peter, let's go. Put your shoes on. Let's, you know. And he's just thinking, well, I'm just dreaming this. This isn't really happening. And they walk out. And then when, when they finally get out the final gate and the angel disappears, he goes, well, no, I guess I'm really out. He goes to John Mark's house, knocks on the door. The servant, Rhoda, comes to the door and goes, oh, they've been praying. That must be Peter's ghost. And she runs back in, shuts the door. Remember that? She goes, there's Peter's ghosts out here. You guys keep praying because this is cool. And they go, no, no, it's probably Peter. So anyway, they, you know, and then they see Peter and he says, well, I'm not staying. Thanks for praying. Takes off. That's John Mark's house. So he's around all of these people, all those you read about in the early days of the church. That's that kid. There's years later, Paul has come to the Lord and all of his story has happened. They are, um, he and Barnabas are up in Antioch, which is north of Israel. And the Lord says, in a church that had been founded up there, and the Lord came to them and said, I want you to turn these two loose to go do some work for me, hit the road, and go tell some other people in other cities uh, about Jesus. So the Holy Spirit turns them loose. So Peter and Paul are taken off. Well, they get John Mark. He's going to go with them. So he's this, the young guy who's maybe helping carry bags or wh- whatever part he's playing. They, they go across to the island. And so they go to Cyprus. They go through the great stories there as that unfolds. They get to the other end of the island. Now they're going to go up to the southern coast of what's now Turkey. And they take a boat up there and they get up to that. And you've got to climb some mountains and go across it. And whatever happened right there, John Mark says, I ain't going. I'm not carrying the bags over the mountain. I don't know that he said that. I'm going to see Mama. So he goes home. And it was not a positive because the other guys carried the bags. And along the way, Paul got really sick. There's a whole another story about that one, but he got really sick. Malaria, maybe something from that, from the coastal area and climbing the mountains. So he was not really forgiving John Mark, and they didn't get along for a while. But later, I think John Mark just came back. I was just a kid. I don't don't know. So they they worked it out. So now he's part of the team. So here we have him. Uh, Barnabas took him. At one time, you remember, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see it's Paul and Barnabas going out on these mission trips. Next, you see Paul and Simon, or Silas, because uh, Barnabas is John Mark's uncle. And he said, no, I think that, you know, he's, he's all right. So anyway, they divide up over that. Barnabas and John Mark go a different way. And this is the same Mark, you know, from the Gospel of Mark. So here's a Jewish boy, home in Jerusalem, and he writes a gospel to people of Roman thought, philosophy. It is geared toward uh, the Roman, Roman Empire way of thinking. And you read through that, and he writes the most active 
of all the Gospels. And, and you'll read one, he describes something, and then immediately it went to something else. And immediately it goes to something. I mean, he is just, he's on it, but he's writing it to the Romans. They're active. They, they want to reach their objectives. He's got their mind when he's writing this. And he is, uh, doesn't go through all the details of kingship, of Jewish background, because he's not writing it to the Jewish people. So it's a different gospel. So we've got him in here. That's part of the team. What a, would this be fun just to hang out with these guys? And say, so, you know, you guys want to just go around the circle and share? It's pretty cool. So then Jesus, Justice. And they had to have two names because, you know, that was confusing. So he is uh, one of the Jewish guys, you know, along with Aristarchus and Mark, the only Jewish believers that are helping Paul. And they're helping him at the, in Rome during his imprisonment there because he's waiting to be heard by Caesar. And it can go either way. You know, Caesar mad at you, you, you know, off with your head. If, if he hears you out, then you can be set free. And you don't know. You just don't. If it's a bad day, it's not going to go well for you. Anyway, he's helping. He's part of that contingent. But these are the Jewish believers, uh, which is pretty incredible. When you think Rome has a big Jewish contingent, there's a big part of the city that has Jewish people in it. And they don't want to know about this Messiah. We just have some. But it's cool. Epaphras, he's a fellow team member. Again, coming from Rome, he uh, is the guy who helped start the churches around Colossae. So he's the guy who knows these people, he knows the culture, he's helped them establish things, he's helped build what is uh, unfolding, and and these are the people that this letter is written to. And he knows them because he's he's told them about Jesus and then formed these church here and Hierapolis and Laodicea. I mean, he's, he's involved in planting the churches in this area. And, and that's, that's just pretty cool. Luke is part of this. You know him. So we have two of the gospel writers in this group. Luke. He's Greek. He's also a fellow missionary with Paul. Heck of a historian and the writer of the gospel and the book of Acts. And his research, I am so glad that Luke hung around because for the for Matthew, he's he's just he's with Jesus and he knows the stuff, he's heard it, and he's passing on, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. We got great things from him. We have great things from John, and it gets lofty in the Gospel of John. He's with Jesus. Mark was there. He was a kid. He saw all this. He knew all these guys. He's heard all these stories. So if you know all of that and it's all so familiar, you don't pass on information that other people might be asking about. You don't even ask the questions because you just know them or you assume. So you don't bother which is how we don't know much about our grandparents or great-grandparents. 
because it was just assumed. Well, everybody knows this story. No, we don't. Well, guess what? Luke shows up. And he said, Mary, how is it that you, a virgin, wound up carrying the Son of God? And she tells the story. Read the first part of Luke. So what was it like those first few days? I mean, did he glow? You're in a barn? You're you're sleeping in a barn? Look through Luke, and you get these tidbits that are just incredible. And the book of Acts as well. Nobody else is asking the questions. We all need to have answers to. But the other guys just assume, well, this is... Sure, everybody knows this. Nuh-uh. So when you talk to Jesus, tell him thanks for Luke. Because we needed to... Or I'm glad. I like, I like finding out the extra info. And, and he shared a bunch. The other guys did good too. Matthew's written to the Jewish people, just so you know how these things are, are going, so that they knew this is the Messiah. And he's, here's the line... Here, here are the fulfillments, and here are the teaching. So you get that. Then he, he rises from the dead, he ascends into heaven, but he's also given us instructions to go and make him known. We have all of that in Matthew. And uh, Mark is giving us you know, a fast-paced Roman version of this thing. It just, it's powerful. And he's, gonna, he's going to remind us of, of his that he is the this son of God, but he's also the son of man who came as a servant. That's a theme in the Hebrew scriptures, and, it, and it's coming out strongly in Mark. But it also meets that criteria for a Roman mind. Luke gives us this, this background, this history, and it fills it in, but it's, it's written to the Greek or the Gentile thinking. He's answering questions. And, and for us, 2,000 years later, he's still answering those, those questions. John gets ethereal. This is the Son of God, who's the Word of God, who started this whole thing. He's the Creator. You just go, okay, you just moved to another level. Now, he's writing. These others are writing in mid-century, first century. John writes at the end. So he's read everybody else's, too, and he's not trying to copy anybody. He doesn't need to. We already got some information out there. But he is giving us incredible information. So we have that to relate to, that who this Jesus is. And he's loftier than we thought, and it's amazing. So John, is all, he's, he's given us a whole different picture. That was really not in my notes, but there you go. Luke, okay, writer of the gospel and the book of Acts. Demas, he's helping out as well. Co-worker, helper. He later deserted Paul for the things of this world. You know, you get uncomfortable, you get threatened by the Romans, and you're sped on, and all the things that happen because you have to deal with the jail people and all that all the time. And you go, I'm out. I think I'll just go back to what I know. What's comfortable? You know, I, I want a decent microwave in my house. I'm out of here. Nympha hosted the church of Colossae in her home. Often uh, there are some wealthy, 
women and and these are business women this is like uh, even the Greeks had very limited view of women and often they were required to stay home or be be escorted from place to place if they went to the marketplace by a male relative some of this still goes on in these places in the world but then there were some and we we find that in Philippi and the church meets it's it's just someone's how well uh, John Mark's mom. I mean, we just have these homes. But they're biz- Lydia's house in Philippi, she, she established herself in a wealthy Roman city with a business. And I'm suspecting Nympha has done the same thing here in Colossae. And that's remarkable. You don't have to be escorted. Suddenly, you can just go where you want to because you've pretty much outstripped everybody. So way to go. But anyway, it's so cool because they come to Christ and they go, man, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. I want to walk with Jesus. So yay, Nympha. Archippus, soldier in Christ, ministered to the Colossian church. He is the local pastor. He's the guy that has been in charge. He's teaching and preaching, and he is being encouraged to continue to do that. I want you to notice as we look at this passage that there is a uh, statements and these statements about that describe the relationships are so endearing so connected so deep they are definitely another another level people look for relationships that are meaningful why am i here in the world you know, it's probably feeling lonely even in a crowd. All, all kinds of things that happen. And it's in our day and all the generations past. And what happens in the fellowship of knowing Christ changes all of that. And that word fellowship for us becomes the word used for uh, non-teaching times with other Christian people. Hopefully, with no spiritual conversation. Just, we get together and we eat, we play golf, we go fishing, we sew things, we have games, and that's Christian fellowship. First century, it was about glorifying the Most High God and getting to know his son better. So guess what the conversation was? Guess who's the center of the conversation? No one thought it boring. No one had to be told, this, you're, this is an obligation, you've got to come to the fellowship. They wanted to be there because they're risking everything because they are going so anti culture They're so brave and so in love with God that they gave everything to be part of this. So the words, beloved and faithful. They are loved. You know the word agape, the Greek word agape? That's what's used. 
agapao, faithful, full of faith, following through. They're looking out for God first, and then they're looking out for you. They've got your back. Those are these people. Who can you share with? Who can you go across hundreds of miles with? Who can you go be shipwrecked with? Who, when you go to jail, is going to be there with you when everybody in the culture is opposed to you because of your stand for Jesus? Does that make any difference today when the culture is turning away from Jesus, when the culture is attacking Christians, when people are losing jobs in America because they claim that they know Jesus? Yeah. Maybe this is relevant for us. Here's the passage. Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you. And also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. That's how he closes Colossians. That reflects the connection of the God and the people of the church. So lightly taken in our day, so easily dismissed as light, and yet in their day, Faithful, beloved, hardworking, willing to go on adventures that could cost them their lives. So much in this fellowship. And they were all dedicated to it. It's just an honor to read. We wrap up Colossians with this from Colossians 1, 17 and 18. Christ is supreme. He existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. Christ 
is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for thank you for the faithful. Thank you for your son, his work on our behalf, his sacrifice on our behalf. And that, Jesus, we thank you that you are still with us to the end. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in us to change us, Lord, to open our hearts and minds to truth, to experience true love, to know what it means to be beloved and faithful, to follow through on the things that you have called us to, to be faithful in following you all the days of our lives. Lord, you are exalted here. You have supremacy in this church This church is yours. Dedicated truly to you. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.